0: Every time, the first time they see it, they're just, oh my gosh, that is awesome. And then, you know, that sparks the curiosity, well, let's try another color.
1: Hello, print friends, and welcome to the 97th episode of Pine Copper Lime the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and you can find it all at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month And that really helps us to keep bringing you printmaking content every week. You can also get thank yous like stickers, prints, and mugs, as well as access to bonus content, which is Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. Quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests from processes, materials, business advice, and general studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out a link in the show notes and sign up to hear Tim's chat with today's guest. And if you want to save a little cash while still supporting PCL, you can now sign up for a yearly subscription and save 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their line of professional screen printing tools. Speedball believes professional grade quality doesn't have to ruin your budget. Their aluminum squeegees, scoop coaters, and high-mesh count screens are perfectly suited to outfit your workspace without changing your books from black to red. So if you want to upgrade your space from hobbyist to pro, head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up your new favorite setup. There's a link in the show notes. This episode of Pine Copper Lime is also brought to you by McLean's Printmaking Surprise, who have been dedicated to the art and artists of relief printmaking since 1979. Their small team of specialists in the Pacific Northwest is the leading supplier of Japanese relief tools for printmakers in the U.S. and abroad, whose primary purpose is to help you find the materials and support you need to reach your printmaking goals. In addition to their high-quality Japanese carving tools, McLean's has resources like books, DVDs, and a list of information on how to use everything you need to make a woodblock, from barrens and blocks to paper and whetstones. So head on over to imcleans.com or follow the link in the show notes to learn something new today. My guest this week is Bud Martin, Head of Research and Development at Speedball Art Products. We'll talk about how he came to ink manufacturing from chemical engineering, tinkering in the shop, and with everything from ceramic glaze to circuit boards, communicating with end users and safety for art products. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to do some research with Bud Martin. Hi, Bud. How's it going?
0: It's wonderful. Glad we could connect.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to chat today. You're our, our, definitely our first um, ink guru on the, <laughs> we've <laughs> ever had on the podcast. That's your official title, right? I got that That's right? That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah.
0: on my business card and my lab coat.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so but before we, we dive on in to the, the meat and potatoes of our chat here, would you please introduce yourself and let all the good listeners out there know uh who you are where you are and what you do
0: well i'm a uh, bud martin and i'm the uh, director of research and development with speedball art products and our factory is located in statesville north carolina which is just up the interstate about an hour north of charlotte north carolina and um yeah, I've been with Speedball uh, sixteen years. I'm working in the lab and product development on all of our various lines of products.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I just you know realized when we were doing research for this episode that I'm really not even entirely sure what that entails, and I'm really yeah. excited <laughs> to actually ask like, what do you do? But. I also am really curious to hear, maybe a little bit of your backstory. Like, how did you get into this line of work? Like, how, like, were, did you study chemistry? Were you an artist? Did you, like, just tell us a little bit? You know, kind of, you know, sixteen years prior. You know, what what happened sure. that you ended up in the role that you have now?
0: Sure, it's it's interesting. So, I'm a, a chemical engineer by training, mm-hmm. and um, I was working. With a company called Hunt Manufacturing, which actually Speedball was a part of Hunt at that time. Now, I wasn't working on the Speedball product. So, that was way back. That was 31 years ago that I moved to North Carolina to work for Hunt. And then um, about 97, 97, 98, um, Hunt uh, sold off the Speedball line of artist products. Uh, Hunt was Primarily, kind of office products mm. and and some hobby um, products, and they sold off Speedball. But we were all in the same town there in Statesville, and wow, I think at the peak, Hunt had probably a thousand employees oh, in wow. Statesville. It was a it was a big operation, and Speedball was a a smaller portion of that, and and they sold it off, and and I continued with Hunt until. 2005, four, four, I guess. Um, and and so Speedball was just kind of around the corner. Um, and although I was my background at that time, I'd been mostly working in plastics and, and plastic processing and extrusion and forming of plastic parts. But I knew the chemist um, at Speedball and knew a lot of the, the management team at Speedball and, and decided. 16, a little over 16 years ago, I would, I would start there. So, but with, with really no, no art background, mm-hmm. no, um, at least in the visual arts, no, no, uh, ink training. So, um, I was really fortunate that, um, there's a gentleman, um, named Al Spizo who had uh, worked for Hunt and probably started in the early seventies and really did a lot of the re- groundwork and development work on all of the inks and paints that we manufactured. And he was, uh, I guess when I started, I mean, he had already retired and was just working a a couple of days a week, so I was just, you know, uh, attaching myself to the hip and of his hip, spending time in the lab and working through formulations and customer inquiries and um, you know, kind of started from there and, and did get some training in formulation, you know, outside of speedball at, at a university. But, um, you know, most of it came from, uh, you know, just working in the lab day to day. You know, we've got folks mixing ink and, you know, as they bring in batches, you know, I'm responsible for the quality of those also. So, you know, learning what what things can go wrong and how yeah. to correct them when they do go wrong. And really understanding, you know, what the artist expects the mm-hmm. products to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I can just certainly speak from some of my own experience about how there's nothing really prepares you, like, on-the-job training for what you're going to do. Like, sure. It's, you know, sure. I, Like you know, from my side of things, like, you go and get a master's degree in art history, and then someone tells you you're qualified to work at a gallery. And you're like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, this is – I can – I can research, you know, medieval manuscripts, but I, no one taught me how to sell anything, you know. So it's funny right. how, like, you know, sometimes you just, yeah, you just dive in and you learn as you go. Especially if you've got a great mentor, that's a huge, a huge boon for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and the products, you know, are are so much fun to work with.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: it's I I, I tell people, you know, I've, I guess I've worked in manufacturing my whole career, but. You know, nothing's more fun than, you know, manufacturing these these products, you know. I'm not making doorknobs or window mm-hmm. blinds. I mean I'm mm-hmm. sure those are important those are important parts and things that we use too. But uh, it's uh it's a lot more fun to interact with artists.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about like what is does- your actual job entail? Like, are you, are you, I imagine you with like a lab coat and like binoculars, like staring into a massive vat of ink, <laughs> like with a clipboard, but maybe that's not exactly accurate.
0: Well, you know, there's, there's certainly some of that. Although we, uh, you know, we sell probably close to 5,000 different products at Speedball. Right. Yeah. Um, from, you know, artist papers and, and calligraphy pens and ceramic, pottery wheels and glazes and really i am i'm the um i'm the technical person there so it i can be you know working on motors for pottery wheels one minute and trying to figure out what's wrong with the color of a batch of ink the next um and yeah, that's kind of yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of a, a jack of all trades, uh-huh. master of a couple. <laughs> I know, and some <laughs> others I need, know just enough to be dangerous with. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm I'm responsible for you know all of the quality uh, of all those components, and and have a good you know I have a chemist that works for me, and a, a technician in the lab who's doing a lot of the the, the testing um, on a day to day basis. Uh, of the batches, so we have you know three full time and one who does it part time. People who are making ink all day long, mm-hmm. five sometimes six days a week. So a number of number of batches come into the lab every day, and so really you know early on because we, uh, I mean there are certain chemical properties of the inks that we make, uh, the pH, the viscosity, and the color. But they're, um, we also test them exactly as the artist would use them. Well, mm. a, a traditional artist would use them. So, if we're making a, a, a relief printing ink, then we're going to bring it into the lab and, and check those, you know, parameters for color and viscosity and pH and and do some simulated aging tests to make sure it's going to be stable over time. But then we're going to print it and oh. we're going to print it three, three times because we want to print it and lay, have it rolled out on the on the glass and make sure that it's not going to dry too fast or take too long to dry. And so we'll print it again and then we'll print it over another color. So we'll do at least three prints from every batch of ink that we make.
1: Well, I'm just so curious. What are you printing? Do you have like one woodcut or yeah. linocut that you use over and over? Well, or- so,
0: you know, we, th- that's really the, you know, that's kind of the interesting part. So you know, I've, you know, carved my own blocks.
1: Oh, fine. Uh, we'll, we'll,
0: we'll, make our own, we'll make our own screens. So, really early on, and I'll say, you know, going back probably, you know, 13, 12, 13 years ago or so, I I knew more about the products and, and how to use them than anybody within Speedball. Uh huh. Um, so, I've kind of at that time became. You know, I would go all over the world doing demos, you know, not anything fancy, but, you know, we sell to a lot of schools, uh, school distributors um, and art stores. So I would go, um, you know, do a one hour training session with store employees at a Mm -hmm. shop in Norway or Ireland or, you know, and I really enjoyed that. But it became, you know, I needed to be in the lab yeah. <laughs> Deve- developing inks, but but I did get a really good background in how the inks are expected to perform, and went to some classes. I went to a, a week at Penland um, School of Crafts, um, just screen printing almost round the clock for, mm-hmm. for a week, yeah. and just learning learning tips and tricks from from professionals. And then, you know, eventually we, and really as social media kind of uh, grew, started meeting a lot of the artists and a lot of them, you know, you've had on your, mm-hmm. um, on, on your podcast, but started meeting them. And um, I remember, you know, the first couple of Southern graphics shows, I would go um, by myself and uh, set up a booth, uh, a speedball booth, and th- and that's really how I met a number a number of the artists. So then then it kind of snowball, we started establishing relationships, and now we have, you know, um, demo artists, mm-hmm. and we have our professional network of artists that we work with. So you know, we we utilize them much more now for those type of outreach, you know, projects and 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 working with. Um, our customers to to get them trained on the product
1: and is that kind of you know you mentioned earlier something about like meeting the expectations that artists have and what does that feedback process sort of look like like are are you are you opening salty emails from people is it the demo artists who might say things <laughs> like how does well, that relationship look
0: <laughs> well you know it was uh, early early on uh, you know, all of those emails came to me.
1: Ah, uh, lucky With, with product,
0: <laughs> yeah. With, you know, product questions, whether they were you know quality problems or how do I use this or how can I get this to dry faster or this is sticky, not you know printing properly. And so I, I would manage a lot, a lot of those, and and that was really early on via email, and, and since then, you know, we've got a number of. Other folks trained to respond, particularly to product reviews on, uh, it, it, you know, big art distributors, Dick Blick or at Amazon yeah. um, or, or social media. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, they, I, they still have to come to me if it's something that, you know, has not been addressed before. And some of that was, you know, difficult work. You know, managing some of those. But the the ones that were my favorite is when an artist would call and say, "What happens if?" Mm, mm-hmm. You know, because you know artists are always looking for their um, niche, their creative way to print or a, a process that they they want to utilize products not really the way they were intended to uh-huh. be used. So those those are really some of my favorite and, and really learned a lot through that. And in some cases, I would say, um, give me an hour and I'll call you back. Uh-huh. You know, and I would go tr- try it in the lab myself. Um, in some cases, it's... Wow, you know, I have no idea, but I'll send you a sample if you'll let me know how it turns out. Yeah,
1: can you think of any like, oh, any examples of like an artist who kind of stumped you with a question of how to use a product?
0: It's it's usually the really absurd questions, you know, that, uh-huh. uh, you know, I got one a couple of weeks ago that kind of threw me off, and I don't really know, it was kind of through email, but, you know, they were asking if one of our printmaking inks was microwavable, and I thought, <laughs> Hmm. I mean, I can only envision that they were printing some nice, you know, towels for the kitchen. They might
1: wrap oh, their yeah, bread
0: yeah. in and stick it in the oven or something. I don't I don't know.
1: That's so funny. Um, I was imagining they wanted to microwave it before they used it. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't like, know. I was trying uh, to think about like how – because sometimes if you're getting really out there with, with art making or in other ways, like you might be working with something that you need to – heat up for some reason. And then like what you put on it needs to match that heat. I don't know, I'm thinking of like glass blowers and that kind of thing. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, other than we have a couple that are metallic, which actually have metallic pigment in. So those definitely don't want to go in the microwave. But uh, yeah, I I ended up, you know, printing something and letting it dry and, you know, draping it over a plastic cup and full of water and putting in the microwave for a couple of minutes just to confirm. But I was I was pretty sure it was going to be fine.
1: Yeah, I love that so much of your job is actually just like that really, I don't know, just like hands-on experimenting. I mean, almost in a way that I feel like you often think about a, a, a scientist in a cartoon or something, but like that like scientists don't necessarily actually get to do. But like you're actually running, like someone asks a question and like, You need to go find out the answer. You know, right? Yeah.
0: Well, I'm curious. You know, usually it's you know sparks some curiosity. I'm like, well, you know, thinking you know in the long, they're probably the only person who would ever ask me that question. And the long term, it probably. You know, we don't have to have a suitable answer now. I'm curious. I want to find out.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so, is there like a really sort of unexpected part of your job that, like, when like people might not predict that someone in research and development, you know, in an art <laughs> supplies uh, company would have to engage in? Is there anything like that?
0: Yeah. So this is this one. This one is really weird. So we've, you know, we have grown since I started. Through some new product development, but also through some acquisitions, we've purchased some other businesses. So, you know, certainly people are surprised that I would be working on, you know, a circuit board for a pottery wheel Mm. the same time I'm, you know, testing watercolor paper. But we bought this uh, company out of Houston, and they primarily sold metal leafing, Uh uh, gold leaf, silver leaf, and the adhesives and all the supplies that go with it. So... Again, I was the only one, you know, who was testing the product and using the product and, you know, m- making, leaping some things myself. So when it came time to repackage and start putting the Speedball brand on it, I was the hand model Aww. on all, <laughs> all of that packaging. So, you know, that's kind of bizarre to walk through a crafts chain and see, you know, my name on the, or my, not my name, just my hands yeah. on, on the uh, on the packaging, <laughs> um, or we did you know a, a DVD, and so I we did some videos, and I was I did all the demonstrations in the in the early videos of s- screen printing and relief printing, and and so I I decided well I'm going to do this print of my nephew, so you know that. Print is on the back of the DVD awesome. that we you know of course now everything's streaming but uh, but the funniest uh, was the there was a product uh, that we that we have and and my hands were on the package, but uh, one of uh, a big customer wanted to decided they were gonna they wanted to put their name on the package.
1: uh-huh
0: so it's my artwork that I made, but they photoshopped a nice young woman's flawless hands. <laughs> Holding <laughs> the piece on the package, uh, so they kn- they knew their target market was not a middle aged man <laughs> who was starting to get some age spots.
1: Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. That's so much less like honest, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. that's
0: so. I, I I have both packages: the the original <laughs> and the and the new. Yeah, and just because I think it's such a funny story.
1: I love that. I I got curious a little bit earlier when you were talking about sort of testing actually the 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 quality of a batch of ink, and mm-hmm. it seems you know. And I think about that because, of course, you know, you think like you said, you talked about it drying, and you talked about you know, you want to make sure like sure that like it it rolls out right and it dries at the right time and it has all these different qualities. I'm also curious though about color because, of course, matching color, you know, tube to tube jar to jar is really essential Mm -hmm. like that's you know you could if you got that wrong you could really ruin someone's day (laughs) um and so how does that actually happen like how do you know that it's the same as it was before it i'm sure you can you know look and see and make a guess but do you have like a you do have like a, a computer, like a like an AI, like Hal, who can zoom in and like measure it? Or how does that actually happen?
0: Well, um, we do, I mean, to go back just a little bit, I mean, we do keep uh, retained samples of every batch that we make. And of course, we batch code um, every tube or can or jar of ink that we make. So if there is a, a question or concern about a batch, we keep those for Uh, at least two years. So Mm. I can go back and and look at those. So, you know, if I look in, you know, a particular ink and I mean, there could be 50 batches sitting in there, but we'll keep one jar in there as our standard. Mm. So, and and it's really, you know, we've looked at, you know, spectrophotometers and things, but we're still doing it by Um, the naked eye. And so we, we draw down, we have a little bar that lays down a a specific uh, thickness of ink. And so we draw down that standard versus the production batch and draw them down and, you know, look at them in the wet state. And then, you know, sometimes inks dry differently than, than they look wet. So, um, you know, we, we wait till it dries and make sure that, uh, you know, that color, color matches up pretty close Mm -hmm. so but it is I mean we are we are doing it uh, with the naked eye
1: does that ever sort of seep into your day-to-day life in an unexpected way and sort of for example what I mean by that is working at an art gallery if I go into someone's house if one of their pictures is the least bit crooked it's the only thing I can look at you know, and so is it sort of like mm-hmm. if, if if someone has repainted their wall and it doesn't quite match, like, do you have to stare at it when you're like having a job where you're really looking at color so particularly as a, as a, as a big part of it and then going out into the world, does that have kind of unexpected consequences?
0: No, I, I wouldn't say once I go out into the world. I mean, certainly, you know, in day-to-day work, I mean, it is cert- certainly something that we, you know, pay attention to and, you know, have to... You know, if somebody. You know, we we're humans, and they're humans out there making the batch. Mm, mm-hmm. And if for some reason they, oh, I overshot that by you know half an ounce of black. Well, wow, you know, and it a little bit of black goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes it's like, okay, the only way we're going to be able to fix this now is to make another batch and not put any black in it. Um, but, and then, you know, mix those two together. Um, So we, you know, we have lab mixers and lab meals um, that we do all of the development work on, but also, you know, correcting batches. So, you know, there's, if there's one that looks like, okay, this one's going to take a little more effort to fix, then we just, you know, stop the production on it and bring samples in the lab and start Mm. working on it in the lab to find out, you know, exactly what we're going to need to to um, to add whether it's for color or or some other you know property of the ink that it didn't, didn't didn't meet the standard.
1: Is there ever a point where you just have to kind of like call it like a surgeon where you're like this batch
0: yeah. is just not going to yeah. make it. <laughs> yeah, we're like okay. We've spent enough time. We spent two days trying to fix this batch,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, and it, you know, gets disposed of.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't
0: ha- that doesn't happen too often. You know, we usually have some, you know, a few tricks and, and things that we can do. But, uh, uh, well, especially if, you know, there was a major error. Like, they you know, I grabbed the wrong orange pigment. Wow, that doesn't match at all. There's no way we can <laughs> right. do
1: anything with that. Right, right.
0: Or, or what can we turn? Is there anything that, that's closer to that that we could turn it into?
1: You oh, know, yeah. so we have
0: you know we have 30 colors so sometimes you think okay well if i add just a little bit of this then i can turn it into another color
1: yeah and how how big of batches get made at a time
0: traditional batches around 60 gallons oh wow and then some of the you know really odd colors you know we may make 15 yeah. gallons but traditional batches about 60 gallons so and, and we you know make Uh, Of course, black and white are the big ones, you know, so we may, we may set up and make, you know, 10 batches of black, you know, over a couple of days.
1: Do you ever find that what color you're working on affects your mood at all? Like, do you get, do you feel really kind of gothic and somber after 10 batches of black and really chipper after a lime green?
0: No, I, I, and you know, I'm, my technician is. That may be a question for him because right. he's the he's one looking at every at it. batch. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I kind of only get you know uh, pulled into it if there if there's an issue. Uh, it's mostly you know there are some colors that are you know historically been difficult. Mm. So as soon as I see them making that one, it's more oh no, keeping my fingers crossed.
1: Like what makes a difficult color? Yeah.
0: Well, some of them are when, you know, you mix multiple pigments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're making a turquoise, you know, uh, water-soluble uh, block printing ink, you know, where we've got a blue, maybe a green, a yellow, and a white all in there, that, that's when it gets right. tricky.
1: Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that.
0: Most of the ones, like our professional, mm. you know, the professional uh, relief ink, those are all single pigments. So, really, I mean, colors. Unless we got some, you know, a bad pigment from a uh, manufacturer pigment manufacturer, we never have problems. I'm going to knock on wood. I say yeah, yeah. <laughs> We never have <laughs> we never have problems with color on on those inks. It's usually the ones that have multiple pigments.
1: I've always wondered, you know, what makes a color a good color? And sort of what I mean by that is sometimes I'll be out in the world and I'll see something. And I'll be like, yes, that is a great green. What a beautiful green that is. Or I'll be looking at a work of art and I'll be drawn to the yellow in it and I'll be like, man, that's a beautiful yellow. And within a set, a color range, at least for me, there's certain variants within that color that really just pop or, or, or make me sure, feel something yeah. or give me that aesthetic pleasure. Have you thought about why that is?
0: No. I, and I, cause I think it's such a personal preference,
1: uh-huh. you know,
0: I, certainly there are colors that, you know, each time they run them, I'm like, Oh, I love that color. Mm. And it's not, and it has nothing to do with the formulation or, you know, the ease of manufacturing that color. It's just that, you know, there are certain colors that, to me, you know, are really appealing, mm. um, and I think sometimes when I look at it, I, I I'm thrown back to like when I was really young and had that box of crayons. You yeah. know, it was like I think maybe your influence really young as to what. And of course, when you're young, everybody's like, "What's your favorite color?" Yeah, you know, nobody asks me that now. You know, what's what's your favorite color? Um, it's just something <laughs> I, that, as a child, like they ask you, "How old are you?" And yeah, and what's your favorite color? What do you want to be? Um, yeah, <laughs> and nobody uh, asks those questions I anymore. Actually I actually have
1: "What's your favorite color?" written out as a question for you. <laughs> 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 so, Bud, what is your favorite color?
0: I, when I see it in the lab, not not. That I would wear it or paint my room, but it purple. Yeah, love purple.
1: I love purple too. Like, do you have like within purple? Is it more of like a, a kind of a royal or a lavender or anything on the spectrum?
0: Um, it's more of a yeah, kind of a real deep purple. Yeah, not, not yeah, real deep purple. Clean.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, no white in it. You know, just a real clean deep purple.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that was. I think that deep purple was one of the colors that uh, historically in Western Europe that only royalty could wear. Sure, and, sure. Because it had, it was seen, you know, as, as powerful and difficult to, you know, the. Uh, I don't know, plants or bugs or whatever they used, you know, to make, to dye dye the clothes was really rare. And so it was like only reserved for royalty to wear a purple. It's a powerful color. It's a good one.
0: Right, right.
1: Do you have a least favorite one? Do you have one where you're just like, ah, get out of my lab?
0: (laughs) Brown. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd say brown, at least for printmaking. Well, I mean, some of the sepias I like, I like those colors Mm -hmm. in prints. But brown doesn't really fire me up.
1: I'm wondering if you, because like I know people will have a lot of sort of debate around maybe sort of like safety and inks and is like oil based or water based kind of like safer for the the body or you know sure. to work with. Do you have any insights for that to kind of you know settle those debates?
0: Well, yeah, that, that's a good question, and, and well, I don't know if I'll settle any debates, but then <laughs> I have a perspective. Um, And it's and it's interesting you bring that up because I'm um, on the board of a manufacturer's group called um, the acronym is ACMI for the Art and Creative Materials Institute. Um, And it started, I don't know, maybe 70 years ago. And it was really focused on safety in art products. And there are about. 200 manufacturers around the world who are members, and they actually um, worked to get some uh, legislation put in in the, I'm going to say, 70s. Um, it's a, It was called the a Labeling of Hazardous Art Materials Act. Mm-hmm. And so it really ensures that if there are hazards with an art product, that they are labeled correct, you know, with appropriate warnings. Mm. So every one of our formulas, um, we have to send to a toxicologist and, you know, they determine whether that product is going to require any any hazard labeling and what the wording has to be. And, you know, as we expand our distribution, we, we ship to about 60 countries around the world. And so we are starting to send more to Europe. So we have to make sure that they meet the, the European regulations and have appropriate um, warnings. Um, so, same with Canada. there, Some of their warnings or they have specific regulations with, for certain chemicals. So, you know, our goal, we've always been really strong in the schools. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, Al Spizo, I mentioned earlier, he really developed a lot of these water-based products you know years ago that were you know were much safer and much easier for uh, teachers and students to use and to clean up and and it's and it you know it's a challenge i mean oil based um, and, and or solvent based paints and inks really have some nice properties mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and trying to achieve uh, those types of results with the water was, you know, certainly a water-based product was certainly a challenge, you know, early on, um, that, you know, Al was able to, to, to figure out, um, cause we want to, you know, we want to get children started, you know, printmaking, have a, you know, positive experience early on. And if they can, you know, just clean up their supplies with a little soap and water, yeah. it's, that's certainly better than having them, you know, sniff solvents, Yeah. Um, You know, we we do offer uh, an oil-based line of ink. It's, you know, not as popular. uh, But, and and I think there's a need for it. It, it, You can produce certain results and people in the right environment, you know, with with ventilation and um, can use those products fairly safe. You know, disposing of the rags and, you know, the waste solvent and things like that, you know, can can get a little bit tricky. Um, So we, you know, try to, focus on on the water-based products but it is you know it just just like and and we're also you know we're not using any heavy metals you know if you we're, right. there's no lead there's no cadmium you know we're staying staying away from those i mean years and years ago they did and, and some of those make for some wonderful colors lead white you know was really popular yeah. years and years ago so you know i think i think you know, primarily we're focused on um, water-based, and you know, trying to and oh, and and the new, you know, water miscible. You know, they're a, a soy-based. The professional relief inks are a a, a soy-based, but really? you know, it's emulsified. Yeah, it's a but it's emulsified so that you can clean it up with soap and water.
1: It is interesting how it's. I don't know. It seems like in art making, as in life, you know, the the more dangerous or problematic elements also tend to be like really fun and effective too. You sure, know? sure. It just seems to be like a rule with, with life and, um, you know, and I know that there's just, there's a huge variety throughout the world of, uh you know, what people use in their studio and what they consider safety and, and standard and, you know, in, in you know, everything from, you know, we were, uh, my husband and I were living in Sydney for a while and, you know, the health and safety standards, there are really, really high. And, you know, like no, you know, no nitric at all or something like that. And in the studio, and then you go here to Thailand and you've got, you've got kids, uh, you know, smoking in the acid room, right? Like with their shoes off, (laughs) you know? So it's crazy. Crazy.
0: I looked, I was in, uh, India and, uh, we were in a printmaking studio, and you know they were, they had the acid, and I looked up at the ceiling fan, and it had metal blades, and they were just like deteriorating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are breathing this; it's oh, just no. ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's a really, it, and it's it's funny because I think it also, at least in Thailand, I can kind of speak to like you see that. If you, they say maybe like the lack of nannying or just like that, that personal freedom with, you know, you're taking, <laughs> taking your life into your own hands. You know, sure. you'll see it like, you know, we'll be waiting outside the restaurant for, for motorbike taxis to show up. And you'll see some guy at 11 at night up on a, on like a bamboo ladder that's leaned against a pole with no one else around. Who's using a, a welder, just putting his hand over his eyes, like, you know, like, yeah. you know, no, no cones to like, you know, uh, block anyone from walking underneath the sparks. Um, so it's, yeah, anyway, it's just, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the really fascinating things about culture sort of throughout the world is that you get these really huge extremes. And, and then you, you know, you, of course, you hear the, our, our printmaking elders talk about, oh, yeah, you just reach your hand right into the acid bath to grab what you needed. You know, like, <laughs> it'd be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or I love that smell of that oil-based ink. Yes. You know, I, I, I hear that from the traditionalists. And, you know, I, I think, you know, in working through ACMI, you know, we just, uh, we understand that, you know, there's a breadth of products, but... You know, we as manufacturers, our responsibility is to make sure that we warn you yeah. um, on any of the hazards you know before you use the product. And you know, we have to have safe materials or safety data sheets to you know list um, information or you know recommended personal protective equipment and, and things like that. We just our, our responsibility is just you know let you know if um, if there's a hazard. We, we tell you what it is.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And then it's 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 out in the world and it's in each consenting adult's hands to uh, to right. do what they will with the information. Absolutely. No, it sure. is, and it is, you know, my grandmother, my mother's mother was a printmaker and she had some health problems later in life that my mother thinks had to do with, you know, being in print studios, uh, you know, in the 1950s and the 1960s. And so, you know, it it, it is something that, I think that people, you know, we, we joke about a lot, but like I've seen the real world consequences um, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it could happen to some people. So things, of course, sure. are, are much, much, much safer now. And as you said, like um, people are much more informed now. But, you know, I, I, I used to work next to a, a glass blowing studio and the uh, I, I was chatting with one of the the blowers there and... And I remember he said that, you know, that they get their own particular kind of uh, cancer in their respiratory system from glass dust after years. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah, that silica can be very dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, artists are craftspeople and they, you know, they have um, job hazards um, like anyone who's out there dealing with materials and building things. And yeah, but... Luckily, as you say, I think that we're we're in a much better position now to be informed and to be safe than we were certainly, yeah, sixty years ago.
0: Yeah, and as manufacturers, we have to worry about that too, because you br- you bring up silica, which we use in our glazes. So I mean, although our products in their complete finished package, most of the time don't require any hazard labeling yet. They're in a liquid form, so they can't breathe, you know, the liquid. But the people who are making our ink, you know, Mm that we need to wear, you know, uh, respirators um, at certain times and and mask, dust mask for for other materials. So because some of those are, you know, in their 100% form, it can be very dangerous.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But of course, yeah, the for the manufacturers, for the people who spend their, you know, entire careers around the the everything in its raw form, that's definitely something that at least thankfully we've gotten a lot better at protecting the makers as well, right. I think, and, and, you know, and valuing um, those people's health and safety as well. Yeah. Sure. I'm picturing the, the ink manufacturing floor now and it kind of looks like, um, Chernobyl, like the, like the, like that old, that HBO series to me, I see people in these, like, yeah, these hazmat suits. And, <laughs> um, I also am just sort of curious because it's, I know that you do many things, but, you know, I think that, that ink and it sounds like, you know, as, as someone who makes prints yourself, that's maybe something that's particularly exciting for you as well and particularly exciting for the dear Pine Copper Lime listeners. What for you, gets you really jazzed about making ink? Is there an element of it that's just particularly exciting um, or that you really, like, look forward to or is particularly satisfying about the actual process of being involved in making the product?
0: Well I think um uh, my first thought was going to when I've you know demonstrated the product uh, the use of the product or we may have you know a group of uh, of school children come through for a tour and we will demonstrate you know the the, the how the products are, are used or um and I think there's there's certainly uh, in particularly in screen printing when they pull that screen and lift it there's there's always like Oh, wow. As soon yeah. as they look at it and see that they, you know, transferred the ink to the paper, there's an aha moment or just a sheer joy or, uh, you know, magic that seems to happen. And, and almost every time the first time they see it, that they're mm-hmm. just, you know, oh, my gosh, that is awesome kind of thing. And then you know that sparks the curiosity. Well, let's try another color, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's mix these two together and see what happens, you know. So I, I I do particularly enjoy sharing that with younger folks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've I've been lucky enough to screen print with with kids sometimes, and it's just and when, once they get the sense that like they can just make as many as they want, you know, like then they yeah. then they're so keen to just like blow through a stack of paper and a batch of ink as quickly as they can. (laughs) And it's just, it's just so much fun to see that, that spark. And I, I love it. I love it. Future, future printmakers out there of, of the world unite. I I think it's a really beautiful thing.
0: Examining prints, you know, I'm always like, how did they get that? How did they do that? You know, because um, that, that, you know, and trying to trying to figure out those things is is interesting. I I don't um, necessarily think like a I, you know I'm kind of process oriented, but I don't really think like a printmaker. And I can't you know stacking layers of colors on top of each other and that that mm. doesn't that doesn't necessarily come real easy to me. But uh, I enjoy trying to trying to figure out how an artist um, or printer um, achieved a certain look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the real joys of being involved in printmaking too, is really staring at, especially when you see the prints in real life, it can be really difficult to do if you're just looking at something on Instagram. But when you get to see an exhibition or get to go to an open portfolio, like at Southern Graphics, you know, seeing like, oh, wow, like, especially if you're doing like a reduction, relief carving, and like that's how you, you got that purple right there that dark blue as you combine those two and it's just really really satisfying to try and unravel that magic a little bit uh in printmaking is a beautiful side of what we get to do
0: yeah i think early on you know and and i think it happens to a lot of the folks who are at speedball i know there's some naive or don't understand but i mean i didn't really realize until i went to a workshop my own trying to learn that well, nobody is using this ink right out of the jar, especially in screen printing. They're uh, always mixing it with something else and creating their own color. And uh, and so you go in these shops, you know, and there's hundreds of jars of you know premixed ink <laughs> left over from other jobs, um, but it's all you know they're blending and mixing everything. I mean, unless it's straight up black.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Unless it's that that key. Key plate, key screen. Other than that, it, yeah, with the screen printers, of course, because color is such an incredible part of that medium that, that uh, they get very, very creative and, and make absolutely beautiful, beautiful concoctions for sure.
0: No, no, I would just think, it, and then that's when the experimentation comes and they're crossing over into other products. I mean, I've screen printed adhesive and put flocking on you know prints Mm -hmm. before so just really you know unique things that that artists do to make their mark
1: well beautiful beautiful um and so do you you know I usually towards the end of the recording ask my guests like where they can be found and and followed on social media and that kind of thing do you do you keep a, a, a social media presence at all that you'd want people to reach out to you on or follow you on?
0: Yeah, it, It's most, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of artists. I do have an Instagram account. and do have a, a Facebook account. I'd say the Instagram's more, you know, kind of interesting things. I do yeah. keep them sep- separate. Facebook is more family things. Yeah. But uh, Instagram, I, I was posting stuff. Just, you know, uh, 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 two or three, I'm like, I'm going to start a series on this, just things I've found at Speedball, you know, just interesting because it is oh, a, uh, uh, our manufacturing process, we do a lot of things um, there. And so you would just see these old tools. I mean, we've got old equipment, you know, we're knocking out these calligraphy pens that we've been making, you know, since the late um 1800s, um, and the equipment's not that old, but some of it is, you know, certainly from 1930s or 40s, I bet. And so you just see all this kind of custom things, and you know, so I I would post some, you know, just kind of random pictures of things that I thought was interesting. It's, you know, people love to take a tour because they, you know, it's just, especially artists, because they're, you know, always just blown away to what. You know they see, um, you know the, the. While these are you know real people, <laughs> touching every yeah. bag of chemical that goes in every batch of ink, and these are the people who are testing it. And of course we have prints, you know, everywhere um, in in the in the in the offices. And my office is full of Sean Star Wars because oh, he's my nice. favorite.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, what what's that Instagram account? Where can people follow you for that?
0: Oh, I think it's. Uh, I think my name on there is Butteroo. Cute. <laughs> you might see pictures of me, you know, smoking cigars or a Burning Man on there too. But you might enjoy this.
1: <laughs> exactly the, the the rich spectrum of the of the life of a of an ink chemist. I like it. <laughs> right. Excellent. Well, beautiful. Well, thanks so much, Bud, for your time and just your generosity. Sure. It's been super fun to learn. Just more about what goes into it and and all of it i i i think that printmakers are just such lovely nerds about printmaking and i very much include myself in that so you know they they get so excited just talking about you know not just the finished product but the process and the ink and paper and yeah so i think that they'll really enjoy hearing uh behind the curtain a little bit well that's our show for this week Join me again next week when my guest will be Alan Edmonds, founder and director of Brandymind Workshop and Archives. We'll talk about doing something bigger than yourself, being a citizen of the world, databases, and nonprofits. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.